My name's Carol Shelby, and performance is my business. Welcome to Talking Shift. Welcome to the Talking Shift podcast. My name is Cody Greer, and I'm your host. And alongside me, as always, are my co-host Caleb Bailey. Good evening, everyone. And Trey, the Chuck Sweeney. Hey. We're back for an episode on one of our favorite topic shift heads, drag racing. But not just any old drag racing. We're talking about street racing in the early 1960s. So, we've talked at length about the popularity of drag racing back in those days. We've mentioned that NHRA drag racing was sanctioned by the big three automobile manufacturers. But what about racing on the streets? Street racing has been around since the second car was sold. At, time, at various times of its popularity, rose and fell depending on what was happening in car culture. As we've said before, unauthorized street racing by bootleggers during Prohibition led to the creation of my favorite topic, NASCAR. When the oldest of the boomer... Boomer! Got, yeah, boomer. Not boomer center. Got old enough to start driving, they were being catered to with cheap speed, cheap insurance, and cheap gas. Trey, was it leaded gas? Oh, yeah. Yeah, it was 20-proof gas, too, and it was 25 cents a gallon, folks. Yeah, it's the gas that made all the serial killers. It would also leave you with an 80 IQ, so... You know. If you like room temperature, or if you like IQs in the range, it's a comfortable day outside, (laughs) leaded gas is (laughs) you. That's staying in. Uh, Also, what she said. Um, We've... All got stories about racing back in the old days. Yeah, uh, you know my uh, dad's older brothers. They were both you know Vietnam veterans. Uh, his oldest brother, when he came back from Vietnam, he bought a 1970 Plymouth GTX with a 446 pack, and uh, he used to uh, do a if you can catch a quarter off the dash, I'll give you a dollar. And he used to win money that way because of the torque on those things. Trey, right, you got any? Yeah. So um, back in the day. Uh, they would do engine swaps on certain cars for dirt track racing down in Walthall County. And my grandfather, which I didn't find out until about four years ago, was kind of a legend on dirt tracks down there. And uh, he had an Emmy, uh, Hemi engine swapped over into a 55 Bel Air that he drove. And the funny part, the number on his car was T3. My, I go by Trey. I'm the third. It's just kind of funny that... 40 years later, I come along, but... And you drive a four-banger Bronco. Yeah, no, six, actually. <laughs> and it has turbo. Not that that matters if it's fast or not, but it's got a turbo. And I don't have a soapy top like Cody. Hey, it happens. Not yet. <laughs> well, I think we all have stories from our, you know, from our family's past. My grandfather also had a mid-60s Impala with a big block in it. Had a Roadrunner with a big block in it. I mean, racing down in South Louisiana and pressing women, that's how I got my grandmother. Yeah, I mean... Badass car. That's like I mentioned in uh, one of our earlier episodes about that Dodge Charger my grandfather had that was my grandmother's daily driver. Yeah. And I would, Whenever I bought my Challenger, when I had it, my grandfather, when he was still alive, loved that car because he 
He always looked at me at car shows, and he saw Roadrunners. He said, you know, I had one of these new, and I never would have realized that these cars now would be worth all this money. Because back then, they were just cars. They were just like... That's how I feel about the 85 Chevy, Cody. Just old cars. Yeah, that's that's the way they felt. You know, they sold them as they needed to. But now, you know, you try to buy a a Roadrunner, you go try to buy a Charger, you go try to buy anything that we've talked about. If you go try to buy a Charger, you're going to buy one that's a piece of junk for $60,000. It was tested on the Dukes of Hazard and has a bent up frame. And even depending on the engine, it's going to just go up exponentially. If we've got a 318 Charger, 60 grand. It's a 383 Charger, 65. If it's a 440, 80. And if it's a Hemi, upwards of 100,000. Do you all realize how many Dukes of Hazard, or how many 69 and like 70s that they kind of retro modded to look like the other one. Also, that, it was Dodge Cornets too. That they yeah, yeah. You know how many that they totaled out? Was in, it 6,500? Yeah, it was, it, it was yeah. An, an ungodly amount. And that's what we that's get what, for that's what getting the good short old boys. Yeah. 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 It's, it, it's also hard to believe they sacrificed such beauties for Coy and Vance. Yeah. yeah. Was, uh, on that. Well, Continue. with the sale of the 1970 Dodge Challenger, known as the Black Ghost, do you guys know about the Black Ghost? All right, you've mentioned it before. You've mentioned it, but uh, it's a, it's a, it's an iconic car from the Detroit streets, but give us a little recap, okay? Well, it's a not, it, the Black Ghost was a, was a 1970 Dodge Challenger RT Hemi with an automatic slapstick and a gator grain top. The car was originally ordered with a uh, shaker hood scoop, but... No Dodge Challengers with a Hemi were sold or delivered with the Shaker Hood. And there was a lawsuit because they were ordered and paid for and the, the heads didn't want to give them to them. And so there was a big lawsuit and, uh, and they were given the scoop and the hood that was supposed to go on it, but none were ever installed by any dealers. That's such a, that's such a crazy story because you think of a, a fully loaded out challenger now the shaker and it's just the shaker hood makes the car yeah it adds something cool to it uh but the car belonged to a guy who was a police officer in detroit he was with the 101st airborne in vietnam served his time used his money when he came back bought himself a car he was a cop but at night he would go ride woodward avenue and uh he passed away back in the mid 2000s and his son recently sold the car at auction for a million dollars and let's not mention Dodge and and their awesomeness has taken this car and acknowledged it. And during the last call series of the Challenger, which is this year, they have made a replica version of the new of the new Challengers of this called the Black Ghost. And it's even got the same I don't think it's actually Gator Skin, but it's a replica of Gator Skin top and it's a really, really cool looking car. Oh yeah. That's that's just another ode to Dodge to throw them back to their roots. They even got the decal on the fenders, the uh black power uh yep. sticker on the side that some people are upset that's there because you know those people are always going to be mad about something they are but and you know it was on the car it was on the car it was this guy's thing i mean this was a car that belonged to a veteran you know you ain't gonna say shit to him no and that you should saw some shit in and, and you should and, and let's be real he's gone now and probably doesn't care what you got to say got to say about it anyway you're damn right <laughs> Cody, what do you know about woodward avenue in detroit well, Caleb, I don't know a lot about Woodward Avenue, but I'll tell you a car that I would have driven on Woodward Avenue. Well, let, let's talk about what Woodward Avenue was first. Uh, Woodward, Woodward Avenue, otherwise known as Michigan State Route 1 to be technical, uh, started off in the very bowels of de- downtown Dre- Detroit, right at Jefferson Avenue and runs straight to the northwest. 
the uh, refurbished Fox Theater, which some of you may remember from the Grand Tour episode, where they ran their cars in the parking garage, has been made out of a theater. And, uh, you know, it's a classic place. Uh, a little, you go on up past that and you hit an intersection with a red light, and uh, it's a, uh, it's the kind of place where the more people with money and the poor people, when you cross the street, you kind of hit, depending on the way you're going, that's where you hit. Now, uh, now, obviously, Woodward out Detroit is, you know, and shit. Yeah, it's, no. it's not in a good place. But uh, at the time, in the 1960s, it was a place for street racing. Everywhere, every small town has their strip that the old people talk about riding on Friday and Saturday night. Well, this was theirs. The Boulevard. <laughs> Everybody has their strip. Uh, there were factory team cars running Woodward in the 60s. Pontiac had a few GTOs out. There was, you know, from Royal Pontiac, Ace Wilson's dealership. Uh, there was a few other ones, probably some guys from uh, Yenco Chevrolet. Who were out there, you know, you gotta make you gotta make things uh, jump up and down if you're trying to sell cars to somebody other than people who like drag racing. True, that's right. But uh, there was a lot of cars out there, Cody. Uh, what cars do you know of that were running at that time? Well, Caleb, one of my favorite cars, honestly, during this era of what well, let's call it the heyday of drag racing, because quite frankly, that's what it was. One of my favorites is a 1962 Pontiac Catalina 421. And if you're from around our area, we live in Mississippi, there's one of these cars in this area that hits the local car show scene. And every time we've seen it, it yeah. it's, it's jaw-dropping, quite frankly. This is during the time when Lee Iacocca took over Pontiac. And Caleb, Wait. what did Lee Iacocca do to Pontiac? Well, he created the GTO. And what he made Pontiac fun cars oh, yeah. again. He yeah. made Pontiac fun for he the made, first time. He made Pontiac great again. He, he did. He took the lessons that were learned from the Super Duty program and applied them to the Pontiac Tempest. This is the same guy that's known as Lee Lacoco, right? That's right. He okay. is, yeah. Okay. So Pontiac took... So let's talk about a 1962 Pontiac Catalina 421 called Swiss Cheese. This car was a two-door Catalina, had a 421 V8 motor in it, but there's a reason they called it Swiss Cheese, Caleb. They took everything off of it that it didn't need. And don't forget, they uh, also took the drill to the frame. That's right. <laughs> Got to make that bitch lighter somehow. Now, we've mentioned before uh, the corporate edict that GM passed down. This was before the corporate edict, wasn't mm -hmm. it? That's how they were able to fit a 421 so between a mid-sized car. That's how they got away with it. Huh. But Pontiac engineers <laughs> manufactured aluminum parts for the car, like bumpers, fenders, hoods, and so on shaving 159 pounds off of this car. Giving it the name, like I said before, Swiss Cheese. They had to drill all over the place. They also added a high compression motor during that 410 horsepower in 1962, mind yeah. you. And that was the 421 Super Duty, right? Yes, sir. The king. Pontiac, the king of the Pontiacs until the 455 showed up in 1970, wasn't it? Yes. So can you imagine in 1962 driving something with that much horsepower on those tires? If, I don't know. Have you guys ever noticed the it peaks in about 1962 and then dips and then it shoots back up? Yes. In like 67? About, yeah, it starts shooting and then in 1970 well, it hits a peak and then it plummets in until, until about 2010. Yeah. And then, 
You'll have the ZR, the ZR1 Corvette 1986. Will maybe the Grand National just a little bit, and the Grand National rev it up, and it'll drop it yeah. in, and then here it, <laughs> like, it pushes the tachometer a little bit, and then it just jumps back, shifts gears. Maybe you got the Terminator Mustang just a little bit in the early 2000s. All the LS1 <laughs> F bodies, yep. they spike it, you know, and then, and then we kind of oh, it's like a heartbeat for a while. Yeah, yeah. you get a G body back down, and then and back up. spiked and flatlined at a high spike. <laughs> Their cardiologist then, hates them. Then the, two, then the 2010s hit, and you're just going straight up, boys. To as, the moon. As we've talked about, listen to our episode on Modern Muscle. Needless yeah. to say, the Swiss cheese Catalina was stupid fast, Caleb. Oh, yeah. At the time, it was a drag racing king. But they only used this car for two years, in 1962 and 63. And Pontiac, this is actually a built car from Pontiac. Now, there's only 14 Swiss cheese Catalinas ever built. And for our listeners that were paying attention, what happened in 1964 that would have caused them to stop back in the factory racer? Was it the corporate edict, Cody? Yes, it was. It was GM being themselves and killing the anything cool. The corporate been. edict. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. What a but, time. But today, guess how much these cars run for? And I just told you boys that they only built 14 of them. They're running close to a million dollars a pop if you can find one. I can believe that. Yep. That's the Swiss cheese model, though. That's Correct. the one with the quarter size holes in the frame. Mm-hmm. And the... I mean, if you if you can find one of these bad boys, hope you're rich because you're not going to get one elsewise. But I, can you imagine running the streets in Detroit just like you were talking about in this badass Catalina car? You know that's lightweight. It's 62. What else is going to go up against you? It's also a death trap because well, if you get hit by anything or catch a wrong pothole, you're you're folded over like a croissant. Between the lead, between the lead gas and the the low weight, you're dead. Yeah. So let's be real and not think that they didn't and have, the tires <laughs> that, there, that there wasn't any competition out there because everybody knew what everybody was doing. Especially when we would consider that in 1962, the Dodge Dart was available with a 413 match wedge. Oh. Match wedge. Now. A lot of you guys may not know what a max wedge is, especially some of you Mopar guys that are fresh to it, But or what a dart was. The Dodge Dart... It's not that car that they released recently. Yeah. It's not that. My wife had one. It's a whole other kind of car. So, the 62 Dart was your average mid-size, you know, family people mover, came equipped with a six-cylinder, or the not a six-cylinder, the inline six, the old... Uh, actually, it would be the slant six, the leaning tower of power available from Dodge. And you can get some V8s with it, but it wasn't, you know, it wasn't the V8s that were high power. This was your sluggish, lazy V8s that made it nice and smooth to ride in. This wasn't fire breathers. There's a big difference. So uh, then, you know, if you knew who you were talking to at the dealer, you could get the uh, 413 wedge that was high compression, made 420 horsepower, had a limited slip differential, different rear end ratios, depending on what you were doing, heavy duty suspension, was, was which was supposed to help you keep those wheels on the ground. Good luck. Yeah. Uh, with a lightweight body and stripped interior, by the way, that stripped interior at that time means you got rubber mats, no rubber, a rubber floor without carpet, maybe. Sometimes hmm. it came with just bare metal. Rubber floor mats, uh, no radio, roll-up windows, no air conditioning, and a four-speed on the floor. That's what that meant. It was expensive and cost more than a fully loaded version of the same car. But when it came time to put it on the track, you know, as ugly as this car was, they were it, it made one per it had it served one purpose. Now the four thirteen Max Wedge would be the uh, granddaddy of the 
440 Super Commando that would come out in 1967. Yeah. Uh, the, the Dodge Dart is just, has, we could do a whole, it's such an interesting story on that car. Yeah, the but Dodge the, Dart, the Demon, the Duster. It's, it, it's, its heritage is just so mixed oh, yeah. with, like you just said, a family car, then you have all these different versions of it coming out. I mean, case in point, an 83 Charger being a thing. Yeah. I mean, we can talk about, you know, Mr. Norm and the special Dodge Chargers that came out of that uh, dealership there. Well, the Dodge Darts, those, the uh, Hemi GTS cars. That's a very, very, very special car and very, very dangerous. (laughs) You know, it's crazy to think that Dodge in the 2010s came back out with the Dart and it was such a turd compared to what they were all the other cool shit they were doing in the 2010s. Yeah, well, the stra- st- strap a five seven Hemi in the dark yeah, and yeah. let it ro- let it roll. Didn't they do an SRT like oh, yeah. six cylinder? No, 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 but it was turbocharged. No, that was a no, that was a neon. Oh but, yeah, but they, that they, was but they did the dark the same way. Did they? Yeah, I guess I forgot. It about wasn't that. as special as the neon SRT four though. Yeah, I, I remember the neon SRT four. Vaguely, vaguely remember the other. I guess I don't even remember. That's I forget what it was. I guess. I mean, well, talking about the cars from this day though. So, the '62 Dart, looking at it from the front, is ugly as shit. Of course, the lights look weird. Everything, and then you jump to the uh, Plymouth Savoy on that time. Also had that same engine build in it. The back end of that, ugly as shit, and so. What will trade? If you were driving down the street, what would you take? I'd go for a 1963 Dodge 330 Ram Charger. Oh, Ram yeah. Charger. So it's still got the 413 Max wedge and everything, but the thing is, they gave it two different versions of compression. So you can play with an 11 to 1 compression, or you can play with a 13.5 to 1 compression, hmm. which. Chrysler claimed that it could put out 425 horsepower, but actually what it's more close to power output was 500 horsepower. Now, this was the car we discussed back a while back where the guy bought one on a Thursday, had the rear end changed on Friday, won the National Hot Rod Association Championship, drove it home on Sunday. So what I'm saying here is I'm picking a winner. A winner for the family, a winner for the weekend. A gold winner, too. Yeah. So, that's, that's tra- my pick. Also, it actually, it looks like... It just, does It does look, it does look good. It looks like a just it's good car. It's better than the other yeah. the 62s. It, like, you got the almost billet grill looking front end on it. And it just... Trey, I want to know... Also, the fact that the photos that we're looking at here, that it looks like it has skinny wheels up front. Trey, I, Granted, both wheels actually look skinny. Trey, I just want to know. 500 horsepower in 63... On what looks to be five and, a, five and a half inch wide tires, belted, belted radial tires. No, oh not, my not God. belted radial. Wait, wait, wait been, we, we, we zoom in for, been, for effect on this photo. It would have been it would, would have been made of rubber, but only only sort of. It's that kind of tire. It's the tire for looks, not for practicality. My God, folks! Everybody <laughs> talks about the wide tires and what the cars just, had on them, but let's be clear: a lot of these muscle cars came from the factory with. Tires that are about as wide as a credit card. Mm-hmm. Yes, that's a good point to make now because you know nowadays you've got people don't think about it. 
you know, you you get your Hellcat, you get your GT500. They've got 325 wide tires in back, which equates yeah. about to about a 15 and a half. And the thing is, like the main belly of the tire looks like this wide, but then all of a yeah, sudden it, it, it curves, it, it used and then you have tread to here. Trailer tires are wide. <laughs> yeah. They are. They yeah. are actually, and that's and trailer tires nowadays are made of better materials. But it's like I said, trailer tires nowadays can't go over 70. But you had these tires going. And drag races going over 100 miles an hour. Just nuts to think about. Oh, yeah. But, you know, we're not going to leave Ford out of this discussion. We're not going to leave Chevrolet out unless Cody wants to talk about the Impala 409. I mean, uh, I, it's, it's an important note. I do love the Impala 409, but it's very common. And we're talking about specific drag racers on this yeah, podcast. The, the thing is, like, talking about, like, designs and everything from that time, because we're just fresh off of the rocket era where everything had a fin on it and all that, and all of a sudden we come out with an Impala that is basically like a little kid drew a straight line, and that's what body so, style it went, it's beauty. You know, it That's what everybody from, went with. It went from the, you know, the 1930s, 20s and 30s, late 30s cars all kind of had the same thing. Man, the World Fat War II years. Then World War Two. World War Two, obviously, would have its thing. Uh, we are nobody made a new body style because of another gentleman's agreement between the American car companies until 1948. That'd been when the new model would hit for 1949, and you got the three hump look that everybody knows what I'm talking about. If you've ever looked at one of these cars from the, you know, late 40s through the mid 50s, but by 1955, everybody was tired of the three hump look. And that's when we went to what Trey's talking about, the rockets. Rocket All of a sudden, we started sending things to space and trying to shoot for the stars. Buzz Lightyear. Yeah. Big tail Do fans. infinity and beyond. Neil Armstrong. And, 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 uh, big tail fins. And <laughs> he didn't step on the moon. <laughs> Not in the 50s, anyway. <laughs> no. But, like, that was one of the best El Camino designs in my opinion is the one with the just giant tail fins and the body well, that shape. one was based on the Impala instead of yeah, but everything else it just but you know back in 63 Pontiac Chevrolet and the rest of GM you know and Mopar was dominating everything with the 409 the 421 Super Duty you know Mopar was killing it with the Max Wedge engines Ford needed something that was going to compete so, uh, Ford pulled out their own factory-built drag racer, the Fairlane Thunderbolt for 1964. The plain old Fairlane two-door sedan body, you know, and then removed all the other things that people thought was essential. It was a low-weight car with big power. You know, but in the grand scheme of things, the Fairlane is more of a nice guy car than the rest of them were. It had a more of a nice guy kind of look. You could see somebody with a Letterman jacket driving a Fairlane. The thing about a Fairlane is it's it's just a big-ass car. It wasn't even that big then. But The Galaxy was massive. The Fairlane was... But Fairlane, know. I think of a Fairlane in the 60s. Like, six, Fairlane in the 60s, I think, a nice car. So, yeah. a Fairlane's good guy car. Pontiac Tempest, bad guy car? Mm, I go. Dodge. I think Dodge is a bad guy car. Dodge? Dodge. Okay. A, a Plymouth or not a Dodge Dark because that's just the a uh, Plymouth or a Dodge in 1964 car. would have been the kind of car that the guy would have been had his cigarettes rolled up in his shirt sleeve while he was driving. But yeah. Fairlane would have had a guy in a Letterman jacket driving it. But yeah, it'd have been Archie. Tempest actually kind of looks like your fat friends kind of yeah. car. So Ford, you know, needed that they knew they needed to lighten this thing up. So they pulled the interior, they pulled the trim, they put in some van bucket seats that hmm. were lighter than a bench seat. And uh, 
they needed to, you know, shave some weight. So they pulled the drag racer trick. They replaced all the glass with plexiglass. Whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> they put plexiglass in this thing? Yeah, yeah. instead of reg regular window glass. It's got plexi. Uh, the, hit, the fenders, the doors. It's flexible. And everything else were all, uh, you know, uh, fiberglass. The hood got a very special fiberglass hood with a big teardrop in the middle because of the uh, new 427. Killed someone. 427 more than likely that's usually how it goes now this was of the fe family that was the high strung racing engines you know when we talked about shelby we talked about how they couldn't use the 427s that were the racing engine they were too high strung too high strung means they work too hard and they tear up easy so they use police interceptor 428s instead these actually got the racing engines and they put out 425 horsepower instead of that 325 horsepower the 428s put out big difference uh, experts also think output on those 427 fe's was closer to 600 horsepower because it God. had a special intake manifold and uh you guys at home can't see this picture but the intake you know it had a special intake that sat on top or air intake that sat on top of the carburetors and then it had hoses that came down to the inside headlights because it had four headlights. The two inside Good headlights Lord. were not hooked yeah. up. They were gone, and it had inlets to suck it in. This was an early Ram Air system. And if you're not familiar with Ram Air from this time, then you know, you are not, you're not old enough to uh, still want a WS6 Trans Am from 2002. That <laughs> is the same idea. Look at this. I, mean, I know this is an audio podcast, folks, but look up this car because the size of these hoses is just... Oh yeah, it's massive. A, it's a thick hose. She's snorting there through that thing. Yeah. <laughs> Golly. So, Ford made a hundred of these, only selling them to professional racers for a dollar each. That was the deal. So, you race for Ford, we'll give you one of these for a dollar. Out of a hundred, forty-nine were four-speed. Damn, to be a racer back in the day. At fifty-one, well, you might die. Ah. Well, Caleb, I wonder if these were used in NASCAR. They had to have been in the sixties. Mm, I mean, this this was a National Hot Rod Association. Oh, is that an car, NHRA so. car? Okay. So, there might have been some, but I think everybody kind of wanted the... The reliability probably wasn't there to last in that long. This was a car meant to run eight seconds at a time. Yeah. You know, eight, quarter mile, eighth mile, it's not meant for anything else. This is the kind of car that would have a moon tank under the hood that somebody hooked up afterward with just enough gas to run it down the stretch. When we're talking about uh -huh. Woodward Avenue, there was one that was the true king of the Woodward Avenue drag strip. And this car is one that's very, very, very special. And it's the 1967 Plymouth GTX that was known as the Silver Bullet. So it's a Coors Light? Yeah. It's, it's like my golf clubs. It's probably, it's probably closer to a Schlitz. Hard right? At the Hard time, right. <laughs> at the time, it's probably closer to a Schlitz before they changed the Schlitz. recipe. Uh, so, you know, uh, in 1967, Everything, that's whenever the muscle car era started heating up. Uh, the Plymouth GTX was brought out to be an upscale muscle car package on the Plymouth Satellite and the Plymouth, uh, or the GTX was the upscale version of the uh, Satellite, while the mid version that didn't cost as much was the Roadrunner. That would come out in 1968, you know, it would kind of fill the gap because the GTX was kind of a high end car. And that was kind of a big gap, like a big jump between the satellite and the GTX. Uh, the GTX was available with a 383, a 440, or a Hemi. But at 68, you could get the Roadrunner with either a 383 or a Hemi. 
the Hemi option was just very, very, very expensive on that car. It kind of made up like, it was like an $800 option on a $2,500 car. Jesus. If you can imagine. Worth it. So, uh, what, this, what, it went from $25 a month to $30 a month? Oh, yeah. $5 back then was like $1,000, Cody. So, but there's <laughs> one car, but this car that made the, that we're talking about here, this very specific Plymouth GTX, was owned by was owned by Jimmy Addison, and he was the killer on Woodward Avenue. It was known as the Silver Bullet, and it was you know considered a myth for a long time. Uh, it was seldom ever beaten. So Jimmy Addison ran a Sunoco, or how do you guys say it? It's Sunoco? a Sunoco. It's a Sunoco. Sunoco. On Woodward Avenue, uh, on the east side of Fourteen Mile Road, he was a talented wrench and uh, worked with Mopar's man on the inside of drag racing. One of the guys who worked on the Ram Charger project. Uh, he also, the car that he was most famous for working on was called the Motown Missile, Chrysler's Pro Stock project they were working on at the time. Pro Stock, like NHRA Pro Stock? <laughs> yes. Christ. Uh, Christ. In 1969, the Chrysler engineering team had an old test mule left over from the performance parts program, a blue 67 GTX with a 440 engine and a column shift automatic because the Plymouth GTXs were only available with automatics because it was a high-end car. But these weren't just any old automatics because, you know, the way that an automatic transmission works on a Mopar, you've got things called a kickdown that if you hit it while you're in third gear, it'll shift it into first if you hit it hard enough. And you can spin the tires doing 65 in one of these. And tires that were sort of a rubber, rubber-like substance. Because Mopar. Yeah, because, you know, that's why. <laughs> why not? So through the Chrysler executive Tom Hoover, uh, the GTX was obtained to be used by Addison, who had it painted silver and dropped in a fresh 1968 426 Hemi. <laughs> so, but there was more to it than that. Uh, Mr. Addison, you know, it, uh, added in a half-inch stroke crankshaft, increasing the displacement to 487 cubic inches. <laughs> With that and uh, a few trick engine pieces, uh, you know, the bullet made more than 700 horsepower in 1969. Uh, Hold on, Caleb. I have a question. Is this true 700 horsepower like we talked about in our earlier episodes? I believe this is dyno, this is dyno tested horsepower because this is one of those Sunoco stations that had a dynamometer in the back. So, yes. <laughs> so it's whatever a dynamometer says it had. Oh. Uh, but I mean I wouldn't think that this would be the same kind of thing because I doubt this car had air conditioning or other accessories. Oh, no. I'm pretty sure this car had... No, the air conditioning was going fast. Yeah. <laughs> open the windows and smoke while you drive. Yeah, open the windows and light your cig up and roll. Smoke darts and drive fast. Well, you know, this car was also lighter than anybody knew about. It was a B-body Mopar with a Hemi. So, a Hemi and an automatic. So, usually those weigh about 3,900 pounds, but... Whenever the car was gutted and fitted with fiberglass fenders, hoods, doors, deck lids, you know, it lost a bunch of weight. And unlike the regular old street Hemis, the engine was equipped with aluminum heads and a magnesium intake they, and they, manifold. They, they put aluminum heads on this car? Yes. And uh, this car weighed about 3,200 pounds. Uh, now, this car was not a sleeper, but it did look like if you didn't know what you were looking at, that it was mostly normal. It looked normal mostly. For time. Mostly. Looked, you know, it looked normal for a time whenever car, a lot of the cars from Mopar had the war paint look with, you know, whatever your wild colors were and some big stripes and, 
you know, letters telling you what you had. This was a, a subtly silver 67 GTX in 1960. So it was already considered an old car, you know. But uh, this car had 12-inch wide slick stuff under the rear with uh, some bodywork done on the quarter panels to make them fit. Uh, hold on. They, they tubbed they tubbed this car? It was tubbed and then it was hammered out to fit. So let, let, let's make a clarification, folks. For those of you who don't know, tubbing a car means you are essentially modifying the rear end to make it fit as wide a tires as you can. What he means by rear end, he means the floor pan of the car. Yes. Yeah. So tires will fit in the fender wells. But also, let's reach back here. Caleb, say it for the people in the back, how much this car weighed? 3,200 pounds. Jesus. To put that into perspective, shift heads, a new Challenger RT has a curb weight of 4,157 pounds. Don't forget, this is in a 700 horsepower car, so this is like a weight cut. So think of wait, no, no, yeah, a weight cut Hellcat. Give me, give me a Hellcat. What does the Hellcat weigh? Probably about that. Probably more than that. No, no, more than that. That was an RT RT spec I just gave. So probably more. So say 4,500 pounds. God, 700 horsepower in a 4,500 pound car in 2023. Meanwhile, 3,200 pound car in 1968. 700 horsepower. God, yeah. You talking about? feeling like you're gonna twist the frame into a pretzel at any moment yeah like that's that that's yep. death yep but you know nobody thought this car was gonna sneak up on anybody and everybody knew that this car ran a low 10 at more than 32 132 <laughs> miles an hour also it had a weird pneumatic exhaust note which i'm still not sure what a pneumatic exhaust note is supposed to mean but i can tell you that it had a four 1968 cadillac coupe de ville mufflers under it to try to calm this thing down in public the thing is it didn't just sneak up on you it it came up behind you with a pillowcase full of soap bars <laughs> and beat you over the head constantly then then it a burnout on you and left <laughs> exactly <laughs> <laughs> but this says that at idle it didn't sound like a race car but it sounded like somebody's air compressor had gone crazy according to you know sources <laughs> <laughs> so, according to the reading here, uh, Mr. Addison ran out of competition to whoop around, and Imagine the car that. was sold in 1975 and languished in the garage of a semi of one semi enthusiastic owner and then another until Detroit ran on hard hard times. The original Woodward scene faded out, but one guy kept track of the bullet and uh, bought it recently. And Mr. Uh, Addison would come over and. You know, he would take a look at it and tell him what he used to have it done to it. And then when the, the, the buyer, Mr. Sullivan, bought the car, he had it restored and brought back into, uh, you know, back into what it was. You want to know what he, how he got a hold of this car? He traded a 1970 Plymouth Superbird what? for this car. For, oh. a, for the 67 Silver Fucking still the lifetime. I don't know if I could get my my Superbird for it though, but but Cody, I know, I know, beating someone over the head with a pillowcase full of soap bars. Yeah, but it got to make you wonder how much of this stuff was was left on it. Now, uh, uh, some things we left out about details I mean, of this you, car when you, I when I talked about the magnesium intake. Now, when I'm talking about that magnesium's light, you know, but this wasn't your standard old you know four barrel quad setup on a Hemi that most of them like this had. This was a cross ram intake. This is a racing setup. Uh, so, 
touching back on our cross ram intake, we also actually mentioned that previously in a previous podcast as well. That's right, we did, didn't we? Nice. We talked about that in the Hemi episode. That's right, yep. and I think I think we mentioned it again in the uh, Yenco episode, right? Yep. Yeah, I mean, boys, <laughs> it's awesome to hear about legendary street cars because this yes. was this was such a treat to hear about. Caleb, do we know, does that car still exist, or is it still around? That car is in a private collection, and it's shown regularly out on the West Coast. It's brought out all the time. Who uh, owns it? Is it Jay Leno? Uh, it's, uh, Nobody Mr. starts it up because it's out in California, and you know it breaks all the protocols. The Mr. Sure. Sullivan, who loved it as a kid, bought it and traded the Superbird for it. It's been in his collection since then, with no plans to get rid of it. Well, if you're interested, YouTube that car. I'm sure there's something out there. It's got a stance to it that's unlike any of the rest of the Plymouths, you know. Uh, the 67 GTA, the 67 B bodies tended to have a swept back kind of look to it because the body was, you know, looked like it was uh, taller in the front and then slimmer in the back. That was before they went to the full-on Coke, Coke bottle muscle car haunches. Mm-hmm. And so it looks kind of reverse wedge shape. Well, this one, to fit the massive tires... They kind of have picked the rear end of it up. Yeah, Not it, quite as much as what was popular back in the 60s with the shackled up rear, mm-hmm. but it's enough that it makes the it gives top a good body sta- line. It gives a good stance to yeah. it. No. The top body line sits parallel with the ground instead of the bottom of the body line sitting parallel with the ground. So it definitely changes the look. It's got the big wide mouth hood, you know, kind of where, where the demon got its nostrils from recently. So, Caleb, uh, what do they need to Google to be able to see a photo of this? The 1967 Plymouth GTX Silver Bullet. All right. Remember, remember, shift heads, always support your local drag racers. And on that bombshell, good night. Good night. Good night. This has been a production of SGB Media.